Hello, everyone, and welcome to Grip Lock, Foundation Disc Golf's weekly podcast. I'm Hunter, joined by Connor today and joined virtually by Trevor. But before we get too much into the show, I want to go ahead and take a moment to thank our sponsors. Support for Grip Lock today is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right. The 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide, including Trevor, Connor, and I, who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for our listeners. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code GRIPLOCKED at manscaped.com. Something you probably didn't expect to hear about on a disc golf podcast is how to properly maintain your fairways and clean your balls. Do you think Brody Smith would be okay with those being called ball golf? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, I've been using 3.0. Listen, 3.0 I've been using for a while and it's a great product, but the 4.0 blows it out of the water, all right? The best new feature is definitely the wireless charging. Makes it super easy and convenient to charge. Also got this sweet new multifunction button. Can both power in the light, but it also has a travel lock that you can engage that keeps you prepared wherever you are, whenever. So I've like I'm nice and shaved down there, but what do I do about this chafe I've got brewing? I'm glad you asked. Manscaped also has some of the most comfortable anti-chafing boxers on the market. I've been wearing them all week. I might actually never take them off. Uh, but I love when companies outside the sport start you know, getting into disc golf and showing their support. So if you want to support them and the show, don't forget to get 20% off in free shipping with the code GRIPLOCKED at manscaped.com. That's one word, GRIPLOCKED at manscaped.com will get you 20% off and free shipping. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. All right. <laughs> we got ourselves one heck of a show today. Uh, the world championships went down. Um, and play-wise, probably one of, if not the best world championships we've ever seen. Uh, so this show, we're talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly of the world championships. Um, we're going to start off with the good because I-, I want everyone's memory of this world's long-term to be good. There's a lot of good. And there was so much good that I want to make sure we focus on that and we're very positive about that. When we talk about the bad and the ugly, which was some of the stuff that went on behind the scenes, I also want to make sure that we hit it with... Uh, you know, a way to fix it, our opinion on what we can do to move forward. Mm. So we don't just focus on negative and walk away as a bunch of Debbie Downers, um, you know, all sad after this episode. But one thing we're not going to be sad about is this beginning. So let's start off with the high note here. Most exciting finish. If you've never, if you haven't seen it, A, I don't, I don't know what rock you're living under. It has been on every single sports platform there is known to man. Um, James Conrad wins his first world championship in a playoff over Paul Macbeth. We also had Nate Sexton come in third, which is a whole nother storyline, but, um, possibly the biggest winner overall from this event, in my opinion, is actually the sport itself because Mm -hmm. James Conrad threw the greatest shot of all time period on hole 18. Some people called it lucky. Uh, but what wasn't lucky for sure is he put himself in a position to make it happen. He's one of the best putter throwers on the face of the earth. So, I mean, with the moment and everything built up, the shot was basically impossible. You know, you Mm -hmm. have one shot from like 250 feet, world championship title on the line. But when it comes to the shot itself, it's no surprise that James Conrad was able to execute that shot. Uh, But yeah, then it's, like I was saying earlier, it's been shared on so many major platforms. And one thing too, pardon my take, the largest sports podcast in the world called it not just like a really clutch shot, whatever. They called it the most clutch play ever in any sport. I thought, you know, I've, I've listened to part of my take. I was like, maybe they were kind of joking about it. But then they commented on the Pro Tours post sharing that and confirmed and doubled down on their opinion, saying they literally couldn't think of a better play in the history of sports. That's awesome. <laughs> That's so um, cool. 
which is pretty crazy. Uh, Trevor, you're a bigger sports fan than I. Do you think that that is a pretty true statement? Because I 100% like, uh, I feel like it was it. I mean, I'll tell you, they were definitely being satirical. Let's get that straight. Yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. Well, I they, mean, they, I they doubled down on their comment, though. Yeah. Okay. I agree in the sense that, well, they're expanding their audience into disc golf. They're yeah. good at what they do. But I, I do agree in the sense that they definitely thought it was a cool shot. Like, I'm not saying they were just making fun of it or anything. Like, they definitely did. Um, but I, as somebody who's watched live sports my whole life and I'm like every single sport imaginable, I've watched the Olympics, I've watched, you know, pro sports, all this stuff. I have, I can say with like full honesty, has there been shots that have happened that have maybe been that crazy? Maybe, but have I ever seen one live with all the live sports I've watched? I've never, ever seen a shot that um improbable live some something that like you see these moments all the time in live sports where it's like wouldn't that be crazy if this happened and that's where it was it was a wouldn't this be crazy if james conrad just threw this right in and like forced this playoff but we're not actually thinking it's going to happen and so many times you're watching live sports you're gonna you find yourself in that seat and this is the first time it actually happened to me and my jaw was just on the floor i couldn't i just couldn't believe what i had just seen and i i have never been that shocked in my life you know, 22 years of watching sports, of seeing a sporting, something happen in a sporting event like that. I've never been so shocked ever. Yeah. I mean, the, one of my favorite pictures was from our, like, uh, it was from our like moment we were reacting, like during the reaction stream and your face just froze for like a solid yeah, I, three minutes with your jaw. I didn't even know what floor. I was doing. I didn't even know what I was doing. It was so crazy. I was, I was bewildered by that shot. We were just, all, the, the thing you, go ahead, go ahead, Connor. We were just all ready to celebrate paul winning yeah, yeah yeah like we were all exactly. looking forward to that all year and just ready to celebrate it and then it was just like like it was just the it was just the craziest thing yeah it was a, such a rush of emotion well, i was talking you, to paul yeah, about it too because I felt like so many things because like i was in the moment you know we were on the companion stream we were planning on chugging like a shotgun in a celsius yeah when paul won and after paul had laid up and conrad was where he was at in my head i was thinking logistically how are you about to shotgun the celsius like <laughs> it's gonna cause a mess whatever so Conrad throws that shot in, and obviously my initial reaction is just pure stoked, like, yeah. holy cow, that's the craziest shot I've ever seen. Holy cow, James Conrad might win Worlds right now, because at that point, Paul still had to get up and down, and then even if he did, they were going to Well, no, first it was, I just won the chair. That was also <laughs> a completely yeah. side thing. Yeah. I, w- I wanted that chair bad, and <laughs> let me tell you, it is amazing. Um, but, no. like, there was this rush of that emotion, but then, like, quickly after, it was a, like, oh, dude one of my best friends might lose worlds right mm-hmm. now. Like crap. You know yeah. what I mean? Not like upset that Conrad's going to win by mm-hmm. any means. It's just that, you know, you, watching one of your friends go through that. It was a like, weird feel. Yeah. It was this weird feel. Cause at the same time, I immediately said like, I, I, on the companion stream, you can see where I like after Paul had lost on hole 16, which that's one thing that some people have to remember too, is that moment itself. It probably did technically win Conrad worlds but there was still a chance for conrad to lose oh, yeah. Paul to win yeah and it's, whole it's interesting like how paul even describes it as like he didn't lose to that shot he lost to the to the um the whole 16 yeah like he just didn't match james but it's it's i like hearing paul talk about it because i think he talks about it in a really healthy way and i don't think i would if no, that was yeah. if that was me well that's what paul came in yesterday or he came in for the nick and matt show monday and he showed up like an hour early because he wanted to just check out some of the distance stuff uh that we had gotten him and i was asking him like what was going through his head. Cause I was like, dude, I, I can't imagine what you were going through. And he was basically saying like he, his mindset was almost the same as ours where Conrad messed up the drive. 
His upshot was in an okay spot to get up and down for par, but not to throw it in. He still had to make the mando. He had to throw he had to throw an insane shot plus the pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Paul's like, he, he played it almost perfectly because the throw-in just wasn't on Paul's radar. He's like, if, if Conrad was like 100 feet out, then I'm thinking he might be able to throw that in and I'm not laying up, I'm going for it. He's like, but he was so right. far back that all he was thinking is he's had to get up and down. So once Paul laid up, Paul said oh, in man. his head, he had counted it. I'm a six-time world champion. Yeah. Like He said in his head, it was over. The shot happens. And like I said, the shot itself, I don't think won it for Conrad, but I think what it did to Paul's mentality did. Yeah. Because first yeah, off, absolutely. if you look at it all week, Paul and Conrad, uh, I'm pretty sure they both played hole 16 nearly perfectly. Yeah. Conrad had the edge because he had an ace. But other than that, they were both on the island every time. Like During the normal, like if that shot wouldn't have happened, I think the playoff goes past hole 16. Mm-hmm. But yeah. For the first time that I ever remember, and I'll let both of you say if this isn't true for you, this was the first time I legitimately could see it all over Paul's face that he was rattled and he was extremely nervous. Yeah. And as soon as I saw that, I thought in my head, this is over. Because like I have never, ever, I've seen Paul in like a killer mindset before, but I've never seen Paul legitimately rattled. Yeah. Where like he looked human. He did. Yeah. I would, uh, it was interesting, like what he said that going into hole 16, uh, the whole weekend, he had felt like he was putting the pressure on. Everybody was trying to ha- had to keep up with him. And so going into that hole, he had the confidence of that. Yeah. And he said that he had let his mind shift, uh, his mindset like shift, which he shouldn't have done. But instead, he was thinking, I've got to keep up with James. Yeah. And set, because that shot made it feel like James had the upper hand. But he said, like, I was, I'm still the one defend, like, I'm still the one that, like, had the upper hand that still was winning going into that hole. Um, so he said he should have stayed in that mindset of make James play with me instead of I've got to follow James. Um, but he said he just, the, how quick they moved over to hole 16. Um, he just like, I think he was, he, just was rattled. how slow. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. It, it was a lot slow. of time to think yeah, about it. Yeah. Cause it was like, yeah. they had, to, they waited there for like 10 minutes. Yeah. So. Yeah, let me. I mean, what what Paul went through on that the two hole stretch there is one of the more brutal ways I've seen somebody lose in my like life because it's very rare that you see somebody do everything right coming down the stretch and still and get it stolen from them like that. It, where they had no, they could have done nothing else to to prevent that because they they did all the right things and it just you're on the wrong side of history at that point. Um, I will say, once James had had made that shot. You know, going into 16, my thoughts were both of these guys have a ton of adrenaline right now, mm-hmm. especially James probably. So I yeah, thought for yeah. sure somebody is going long because somebody is going to be pumped up and ripped this long, which Paul, I guess, it ended up being the one to do that. But it's not only was, was the mentality, you know, difficult because of what was going on in his own head, but the crowd had completely shifted who they were rooting for oh absolutely you know they're kind of welcoming paul down the stretch to tap out for his sixth world championship and now all of a sudden paul throws out of bounds and they're cheering you know yeah like it it's and like like you know that's fans like hey you know i'm not going to come after the fans for cheering for that because you know what they the fans loyalty it's up to them so as long as they're being you know nice about it, it you know not being disrespectful but that you know that that's so tough to combat with when you know the the mood in the crowd has shifted and now they're all on James' side. Like uh, they're hoping James makes the play, and also James Conrad just owned hole sixteen that yeah, whole week. So absolutely, that was going to be the toughest hole to play him. If they go back and play eighteen again, guess what? Paul's your world champion. I think. I think Paul wins hole eighteen again. I think he wins hole seventeen again. I think hole sixteen was the hole 
for it to be done. I think if Paul could have pushed it, not only would he have gone to holes where he had a better shot at winning, but he also would have gone to holes where he had a time to settle in and refocus and think, okay, hey, I'm still in this. You know, I I'm still have the upper hand. I think the way it happened, and I love the playoff setup. Don't get me wrong. It was epic having them go back to 16. Um, but that I think that was really what clinched it was him having to go to that particular hole you know, where the mood was, had it, had it been different, he could have definitely won the playoff. Yeah. I mean, on the Nick and Matcho, I think Paul kind of alluded to in his head, uh, if he had won the playoff, if Paul had won the playoff, that the tension and everything would still be going to the shot and the, the sport would have still won in the same way. Disagree with that. I completely disagree. disagree. Yeah. I completely mm-hmm. disagree. Actually, once the shot happened, uh, obviously my heart and my fandom wanted Paul to win, but my mind wanted James to win every yeah. like because yeah. I knew if I knew for the moment to be as big as it could have been and as big as it has been, James had to win worlds. The like, shot, the shot would have been just as big within disc golf. Probably we all would have talked about it just as much. Yeah. But if it, for it to get the traction outside of the sport, James winning was important. And as soon as James threw that shot in, we all kind of said it. We're like, Hey, like, if this shot wants to really be big, James needs to win this event now and he needs to become the world champion because now it's something that like it goes down in history. It's not just, you know, when we look back, we'll see, we won't see Paul won and have to think back, oh, isn't that the year James threw that exactly. shot? Now we'll see, we'll see James won and we'll know exactly how James won that world championship. Yeah, yeah I mean, the, the first comparison that came to my mind and i can already hear the comments laughing because it is a basketball comparison but you got to realize oh this guy loves to talk about basketball no, I, I, I saw this i saw this in the notes this is great actually. Yeah. everybody listen you have my permission to speak <laughs> basketball. all right perfect and I, I was scared this was upset trevor because it it's no, at the, this is great it's at the penalty of unc but yeah the unc versus villanova championship game uh march madness you know it's coming down to the wire UNC, uh, who was it, Trevor, that hit the shot? Marcus Page. Marcus, Marcus Page, Page hits one of the most ridiculous. incredible shots ever. He, like, pump fake. Double clutch three. Yeah, double clutch three with, like, a few Those seconds are... left on the clock to to go up by one or tie the game. It was, I think it was to tie the game. So it was to tie the game. One of the most clutch shots so. in history, period. It never gets talked about, ever, because the next play, Villanova hits a three and wins the game. Right, that, you I see think, highlights... They could all talk about the Villanova one. Yeah, you might not ever see the UNC shot really ever again. I think that's exactly what would have happened to James's shot had Paul won. Because it would have been like, wow, what a great moment. But he he lost. That makes sense. And so right. I think that's the same thing here. Of like, It would have been a great moment. It would have been a super clutch shot. But no one would have picked it up. So I think that yeah. James winning was crucial for the sport um, as far as growth and good. stuff goes. And also, I mean, I want to make sure. Obviously, I think there's a lot of stories with how Paul lost. Uh, but what a huge freaking moment for James Conrad and for MVP. And yeah, MVP, my goodness. Yeah, and it could not have happened to a better guy than James Conrad. No, no, yeah. Nicest guy on earth. Uh, he's got Frisbee in his blood. His dad is also one of the nicest human beings. I, his dad I, is super nice. I wish we could see. I heard that his dad was at a tournament in Tennessee, and like there was like 20 or 30 people watching uh, when James threw it in, and I oh was my like, gosh. "I wish I could have seen that moment yeah. and been there." Like that had yeah. to be because his dad's, you know, a diehard disc golf fan. He's just transitioned his bag. He's been an end of a guy for so long. Just transitioned his bag to MVP because his son transitioned to MVP. Super proud of James. I saw him at USDGC when James won, and like this guy was just beaming. And I can't imagine what like how much this moment meant to him, and especially also to James. 
you know, throwing that shot in and then winning your first world title. Because now James has a U.S. title and a world title. Yeah. And there are very few people on earth that have both of those. Innova's got to be down bad after that one. Honestly. Honestly. That's a second second world in a row. Not only... That they've lost a player and then they've won a world title. Yeah. Oh my! I didn't even think about that. That's <laughs> yeah. such a good point. So who's leaving so next to win? Yeah. Now imagine, imagine if Heimberg were to leave Innova and win the next and world win title. with like DD or something. The next world that would be crazy. <laughs> he could. Innova, man, that's like the Innova curse. Like, is that what we're calling that? Yeah, we gotta oh, call it. Get away from Innova. Start that. Yeah, you gotta leave Innova that's to win worlds. <laughs> Let's start that that's just so they look. can pay us to stop doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's just that it's just the freedom that like, from what I understand, how it all went down is Conrad felt he wasn't getting paid enough at Innova and he mm-hmm. started searching and MVP offered him a contract where he probably this season and you've seen it in his play. He's been playing great all year. Um, and especially, I mean, he's a world champion of 2021 now. I think that the, the contract probably freed him up. He was, he was just probably this whole season has just been playing loose and free because he doesn't have that pressure of like or the stress of like, I feel like I'm <clears> worth more than I'm getting paid. Well, I think it's also, yeah. I think a big reason why he left too was not just that he wasn't getting paid enough. I think he wasn't being appreciated. That's a big part. He wasn't yeah. being treated like a candidate right. for a world champion. Uh, and then uh, whenever he went to MVP, they treated him like he was a world champ. Yeah. And I think right. that he, He's their guy, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, he, yeah, he's their, he's their top player by far, obviously. And so I think that also your company just treating you so well and appreciating you so much probably makes you want to push harder too. Yeah, I mean, I've seen that in Trevor. Whenever, you know, whenever we treat him well, he just, he comes out on a winning streak. and wins, you know? Ever since Trevor left uh, Innova and went to Dynamic, I'm surprised he didn't win Worlds this yeah, year. Yeah, it's been, it's been quite, a, <laughs> quite an insane performance for Trevor. Um, but no, absolutely. I mean, that was one thing I wanted to make sure that we ended the MPO side on is talking about how good of a season James has been having. Uh, uh, James mm-hmm. absolutely deserved this win. I think a lot of the talk because of the shot has forgotten how good James played all tournament. Yeah. Um, yeah. You like, have to. You have to. Yeah, because really James and Paul both put themselves in a position to win. Regardless of mm-hmm. if James' shot goes in or not, he was in contention You know, going into the 18th hole at the World Championship. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's yeah. not a small feat. It's The one shot, I think, obviously did a lot for the sport. It's done a lot, but it also kind of wiped our minds of how good James played and sometimes how good Paul played all weekend and even Nate Sexton, how good he played. There was a lot of players that showed up and were in contention at this world. I think that's what made it so exciting. And then the icing on the cake was the shot. Um, But I think the shot, we shouldn't forget how much James deserved this world title from his play the other rounds as well. The shot was amazing, but let's not forget how good James played as well. Yeah, it shouldn't discredit. It shouldn't discredit all of his other shots. Yeah. Because it wasn't just some fluke thing that happened that gave him the win. I mean, one, he didn't it wasn't lucky. He threw the perfect throw. Exactly. Like there was no chance involved in that. He took it that throw 100% in his hands and threw it perfect. I loved the um John Boy like his recap where he zooms mm-hmm. in on his mouth. Yeah. He's like, watch this. Like, this is the moment he realizes it's going in, and James' mouth opens a little bit. Yeah, he's just like like two seconds before because he's like I think he threw it with the intention to throw it in. Obviously, that's what yeah. he was trying to do. That's what, what makes it, it more there's impressive. There's nothing else to do. There's yeah. Because like, there's been moments where people have had sick throw-ins, but they were trying to do like an upshot. Like this, I think what makes it so much more impressive is it's one of those moments where you're like, you, know, you know he's trying to throw it in. And so yeah. everyone knows like he's trying to throw this in. Yeah. And then like halfway through the flight, everyone realizes, wait a second. It has a chance. It has a chance to go in. And then right before it hit the basket, I think there was a moment, like a split second before where everyone knew it was in. 
Mm-hmm. And so the crowd reaction too, I saw the crowd reaction getting a lot of flack. Listen, I understand, you know, USA flag short guy, people hated him, people loved him. People were saying, you know, there's need for more security, whatever. Look at any sporting event. Yeah, they it, rushed the court. Yeah, the, you rushed the yeah. court. Like this was, for lack three. of a better term, this was a big upset. There was not because of the players, but because of the situation. Mm-hmm. Everyone the in their mind had counted it out. And then James Conrad throws this shot in players yeah. were players on the sidelines were the first people into the middle of the fairway. I don't think it was voluntary. Yeah. No. I think they no. like couldn't help but be like, just freak out. Yeah, absolutely. The reaction was a bit hectic, but a, like that's just electric and B in everybody's defense, they all cleared out really quick. Like yeah. everything mm-hmm. got, it, there was a moment of chaos, but then they let James get to the basket yeah. and then everybody kind of moved on. Like it wasn't like it was some big thing that everybody's surrounding James and we've got to clear everybody out. You know, it was it was fine. Well, that's I thought it was well balanced. That's another thing too is I don't know if this shot gets as much attention if the crowd doesn't react that way. Yeah, the crowd's definitely yeah. part of if it. I mean, we're, we were waiting, we were waiting for that whole eighteen to be able to erupt all week, and then this was finally the perfect chance. Yeah, when I, I was, mean, imagine how much this would have sucked if, like, let's say Worlds happened last year where there would have been no spectators mm-hmm. in oh, a moment like oh that. Oh my happens. gosh! Like, yeah, it would have been awful. Like, yeah, there'd have been twenty five people there recording it that would have screamed, but like. This moment, I mean, I, I'm literally getting chills sitting behind the desk just thinking back through it. Like, it was such, I cannot think of a cooler sports moment in general. It like, was, game winners, anything. Like, it was it was just such a difficult shot. He was trying to do the shot, and then he hits it, and the, the stands were full. Players are surrounding the green. What a freaking moment. One of the reasons why it was such like an amazing shot, though, wasn't even like the shot was incredible, but it was also one of the craziest situations in history because uh, because that was like Paul didn't have a choice. He couldn't like he couldn't match that. You know what I mean? Because he yeah. had already laid up. Well, yeah, he had he, already yeah. laid up because he had the win. Like, because if if that shot had happened before, it would have pushed Paul. And Paul's like, okay, I'll go for the birdie. Paul would have laid and up. He would've, yeah. he would have got it. He would have parked it because he and did, then tapped out. Yeah, exactly. He was in a perfect position to but go for he, it. He and he said that was the only situation where he didn't run the birdie. Well, he, that was also, the only situation, and then it just like the craziest thing. The one in a million shot happened, and it. But that's <laughs> the situation was so crazy. Also, props to uh, Conrad for having the mental strength to still even like give that shot a chance because yeah. you know he had to feel like he just lost worlds he uh-huh. threw a bad yeah. tee shot his upshot put him in an okay position but not the type of position you normally want to run for to be honest with you i thought that he was laying up to keep his second with like to keep his second place oh, yeah. when he hit the t- when yeah. he hit the tree and then where Damn. he laid up to in my head i was like oh he's conceded it's over mm-hmm. like I, the whole moment like props to conrad to still even be like you know what i'm going for this because he he wasn't in an ideal position on his second shot if he's trying to go because that's what Paul even said like what you're saying if if Conrad had thrown it to a hundred feet Conrad doesn't win the world championship yeah even if he throws it in he doesn't win because Paul would have been like oh he has a shot at making that Conrad put himself in the exact position where Paul thought there's no chance he throws it in I'm gonna lay up and is that strategic by Conrad did he mean I don't think so I don't think so either because I think he was I, just I think he was just fighting at that point he was yeah, just trying to get it's so crazy. He's all Paul, all Conrad needed to do is if he throws a good tee shot, Paul goes for the birdie. Like it's yeah, that it's simple. Yeah, it's yeah. so, it's so ridiculous how yeah. that happened. Like the more I think about it, like I just get more and more sad for Paul. Cause I'm thinking <laughs> like, what, you know, what an awful way to like lose worlds. Like you're already like in your thirties. Oh man. <laughs> that stinks. His, his throw on 16 really wasn't that bad. 
he it was, he just, said, it was he 10 feet it. too long. He pumped it too much, but also he could have gotten a little bit luckier than he did. If he would have thrown, stopped. I mean, he's been throwing the Raptor all week, so yeah. like, of course, he's not going to change discs. But if that's a zone, it's inbounds. Yeah, that's it. True. It's just that's it was true. a wide, it was a fast disc. Well, one of the things he also said, and he made it very. This wasn't an excuse by him. He made it very clear that this is not why, but this is something he noticed that for some reason this T pad was the only T pad that decided to to put the turf down and you're throwing with the grain and so it was like the opposite the direction of the rest yeah. of Yeah. And so he said that he did feel a little bit of a slip and so he didn't think he was going to get the power so he just juiced it at the last second to try to get the power that he thought he was losing and he just juiced it too much. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean regardless James Conner was an absolute magician on that hole. It so was, oh yeah. Paul I mean, was going to have to put it close. I'm anyways. so I'm so impressed that he was able to control himself to get it just on that island yeah because i thought for sure when we stepped up he was throwing it over that lake <laughs> oh yeah i mean i would have i would have yeeted that thing to the middle of the lake i mean my adrenaline would have a roller across the lake <laughs> yeah there's there would have been zero chance of me making that island if i had just no. done that but that's why i'm sitting behind a desk talking about the shot and i didn't <laughs> throw the shot <laughs> i thought it was just because your hair wasn't long enough maybe maybe that's the key here um i think one final thing the mpo side showed us well, prove it validated to me. I've known this all along, but I think it showed a lot of people is why live disc golf is so freaking great. Because mm-hmm. I mean, a I, I painted the scenario on Twitter. It apparently actually happened to someone, which I find hilarious. But like, you avoid, you are guaranteed. You know, I'm watching post produce. I'm not going to get on social media. I'm going to do everything right. I'm not going to get this spoiled. And you get up in the morning and you're like, yeah, let's see what's going on in the sports world. Turn on My Sports gosh. Center while you're like eating breakfast or whatever. And then it's <laughs> like, number so one funny. play, James Conrad. He goes on to win in a playoff. You're like, oh my gosh. Are you upset by that or are you happy by that? I mean, you had to like lose your mind the same yeah. way we lost our yeah, minds. No but way. then at the same time, you'd be like, crazy. now why do I even watch it? Because yeah. like, the frick. Dude, so many people, so many people were commenting spoiler on like our TikTok of our Yeah, I thought, that's I, thought, I thought it was funny. I was like, come on, man, you're on social media. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to talk too much on the live versus post produce because I think the moment is the best. It speaks argument. for itself. Yeah, yeah one it thing. For itself. One thing I will say is this was the first tournament that I've really paid attention to, like the commentators of Jomez, because if you look at the reaction camera, you will notice Nate Sexton, Big Germ, and Paul Ulibarri are on the green of 18 and watch the shot go in. And then they have to commentate yeah. on that moment. And I will say it was either Sexton or Yuli, actually kind of both of them took the took the route of like not acting like they hadn't seen it. They just kind of immediately started talking about what that means for the sport, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Whereas Big Germ like tried losing his mind. And like once you know, like like on live coverage, even yeah. in the Jomez shot, you can see Germ lose his mind at an actual time. Yeah. And then like he's also yeah. trying to lose. It just felt weird to me. That was the first time I've noticed. I've heard you talk about it before, Trevor, but I had never noticed it because, like, I've yeah, just, if I'm watching I, Jomez, I'm just watching disc golf. I'm not paying yeah. attention to the commentary. That's a good. But, that's a good idea uh, for for you and Nate. That's a better approach to just talk about it because, like, as a commentator, one of your jobs is to relay the emotion of the event to the viewers. Like you, there are so many. There's a reason there's so many famous calls in sport history where, like, the, the famous part about it is not only the play but the call that the commentator made. Because he makes the moment extra special um, with it, like either it's like a quotable line that he delivers or just even just like some kind of exclamation of some sort. Mm-hmm. But whenever you know in your mind, these guys have already seen this, then you already know it's ingenuine. So it's yeah. honestly, it's a better approach to just try and, you know, not act like you haven't seen it before um, and just take it from a perspective of, you know, talking about it. I, I definitely think that was a smarter play. Yeah, now let's talk about FBO because one thing, 
NPO, crazy finish, you know, got all the recognition. People are forgetting about how amazing the finish of FPO was. It was an absolute battle. Katrina Allen takes it down, wins her second world title. Paige Pierce comes in second. And Lisa Fakus comes in third. The final score is I don't, don't, I don't think capital, like, uh, capitalize on how crazy this round was. So Cat and Paige starting the round off. Rough round. They were. It was almost like they were both trying to lose at some point. Yeah, it was I mean, brutal. It was just mistake, and then the next one would make a mistake when they could have capitalized back and forth. But Lisa, on the other hand, was capitalizing on this. She was storming up from from behind. She had a chance to come within one stroke on hole sixteen. So she like stormed back, stormed back, stormed back. Gets to hole sixteen, has her shot to come within one and be tied with Paige. I believe it was behind Cat, and then Paige Pierce does what Paige Pierce is known to do which is hits this super clutch putt from like a 60 or 70 foot drop zone to save her par seconds before Lisa is supposed to go up and putt for her birdie. And it rattled Lisa. Um, she ended up four putting to go from birdie to double bogey. And that's what knocked Lisa out of contention. But then Katrina Allen is down two going into 17. Paige Pierce is coming down where she's going to bogey. She had a few rough shots. Katrina Allen has a chance from just outside the circle to tie it up, but instead she laid up, and I've heard that she told, I don't remember who she told, but someone was asking her about that moment, and she said she was very confident in her play on 18, and she was also very confident in Paige's struggles on 18, and so she didn't want to risk anything. Super, super smart play when it works. If yeah. it hadn't worked, we would have been like, what were you thinking? But yeah. that's sports. So she laid up, she just got up and down to go just gained one stroke and be down one going into 18. She threw a good drive, but had a lot left to go. And then this moment, if James Conrad hadn't thrown in his shot, this would have been the moment we were all talking about, which is Katrina Allen's huge Annie Flex yeah. shot to get to the green of 18 and put all the pressure on Paige. It was one of the clutchest shots, period. It just didn't go in the basket. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I think we're not talking about this more, which it really is a shame because Katrina Allen's shot just got completely overshadowed. And like, I felt like four hours later, everyone forgot it had happened because of what happened in MPO. Yeah. Um, I don't really know if there's a necessarily a solution to this. James is such a jerk, man. <laughs> it, was kind, it was kind of a jerk move by yeah. James. Um, yeah, it was a jerk move by James. But like, I, like, I don't know if there's really a solution to this, but I just felt, yeah. I felt bad for Katrina because I felt like she didn't get the recognition she deserved because of how great the moment was in MPO that like people just forgot about this moment in FPO. I mean, had, had, yeah, had Kat done the same thing as like, we would have, it would have been the same scenario. Like I, it's just, oh, that's no, just how it is. Exactly. People would have got about the MPO finish if this is how FPO went down. Reactions are yeah. very similar though on the field. People were, Oh yeah. People, people were lost super their mind. excited. Well, because people didn't lose their mind as much cause she didn't put well, it yeah. in, yeah, but yeah. The but they shot knew what it was meant. the shot was insane and it mm -hmm. stayed it was like touching the OB line too like it was the perfect spot yeah but yeah most in all of our heads she had to make that putt which is like a 30 footer and Katrina Allen's putt yeah. was not the best Back this and world forth. championship yeah. yeah it was very streaky so Paige just has to get up and down for par to force Cat to make a 30 footer to go into the playoff ends up doing a very unpage like thing i don't really know what happened here but she threw she her short upshot. It. yeah she threw her upshot ob and is left having to make like a hundred foot or something throw in if she wants to save the bogey ends up double bogeying which allows cat to lay up and tap out with tears in her eyes literally just crying as a two-time world champion wow. uh, yeah it was what a moment it was a it was great to see cat get the win and and she did have to throw a really good shot on 18 but I was a little disappointed with the FPO finish just because I felt like it was just each of them trying to give it to each other and nobody yeah. really going out and taking it. Now, Katrina's shot on play on 18, you know, was satisfactory. 
But it was more than satisfactory. Got, I think Katrina took it on eighteen, but well, Paige but she gave got it to bailed, her. She got bailed out though. Yeah, she yeah. got bailed out because she had it. She was staring down a thirty footer for the win, which had she made that, that would have been awesome. But Paige completely bailed her out by missing her like simple upshot. And I really wanted to see Cat have to make that putt. Um, I mean, they both got bailed out a little bit by Lisa. You know, having the the blow up on sixteen. I just wanted to see. I, I wanted to see it end a little bit differently. But with that being said, you know. Cat played 18 really well. Um, she did what she had to do. It's not her fault she only had to lay up. Yeah. Uh, and I was happy to see her get a world title. That that'll be that'll be great for her career. Uh Paige, you know, be curious to see how this affects her because the last time, you know, she had we she just come off of a slump, you know, and it took her a while to get out of that. You know, maybe she just needs to go back to Hawaii and recharge like last time. <laughs> I don't know, but uh that's a tough way to lose because you know, Paige. And I, she was in a similar situation to Paul to where she could have gone for the green. And I thought when she laid up on 18, I thought, hmm, that is going to be interesting because yeah. that little upshot is going to be harder to throw than that full power shot onto the green because how nervy it's going to be. Because you're those are the shots you're expected to make. Mm-hmm. Um, like she has a putter in her hand from 200 feet maybe. And not only, to, not only did she mess it up, but I'm pretty sure she, there's no drop zone there, was there? No, she goes where she goes. No, out. so she went out so early, yeah, that she never crossed inbounds, and she had to throw putt from super far away. You know, she had to at least get that to the island to where she had a shot, but it was just a really bad shot. But you know, nothing was going to upstage the, the MPO finish, anyways. As wild as that, you know, ended up. So, yeah. well, that's the other happy thing. for Cat. That's the other thing with Paige is if if Paige would have went for it and went OB, she would have had her putt for four from inside the circle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she would have crossed up yeah. there. I, I, I think she should have gone for it on the MPO side. I fully agree with Paul's decision. And if I put, you know, I personally, if I was in Paul's shoes a thousand times, I lay it up a thousand times, and I probably win nine hundred ninety nine of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. In yeah. Paige's shoes, I go for it every time. I, I, mean, I don't remember exactly where she was had to lay up from, but even if it was farther back, like she was in solid position. Yeah, because it, it's just it, it's tough. Like you're saying, you cat had made the shot. You're laying up. You know I have to get up and down. Whereas if you just blast it and it sticks inside the circle, you have the easy putt for the win. If it goes a little bit long, then you still have a putt for the win. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're still in this. You know, in your right. inside. You got to. You got to. You got to make cat have to make that putt because that's literally exactly. her weakest part of her game. She's at. She's in the biggest tester range there is. It's all the pressure. Like cat would have had a very difficult putt to make. Yeah. You have to have. You can't have her laying up for the win if you're Paige. You got to make her try that putt. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing too is the whole time it was coming down the stretch, it was getting very close. Everyone in the chat, and I literally mean everyone. This is all the chat on the live coverage was talking about. I had to mute it because I was getting just so annoyed with reading it over and over. Was how Paige had missed the Mando the round before and ended up playing her live without the penalty stroke. So if you didn't see this, basically it was whole ten at Mulligans. Paige threw. On the coverage, it was pretty clear as day. It went over the Mando. Uh, so she missed the triple Mando. She didn't see it, or, you know, she just didn't know she missed the Mando. She asked her card. Her card mates say, I don't know. Lisa Fakus seemed kind of upset by it. We talked about it some, I think, last week. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, though, because last week we were saying, like, we hope that it comes where this doesn't affect the results. Yeah. Uh, we said either Paige wins by enough or Paige loses to where th- this moment doesn't have to be talked about. Uh, only reason I'm bringing it up, A, it didn't affect the results. So 
you know, it's not really a storyline anymore. But I wanted to bring it up because Paige made a statement about it on her Instagram. Uh, at the end of her long world's post congratulating Katrina Allen. It was a great post. Uh, both Paige and Paul lost with a lot of class. And yeah, their post about the other Absolutely. players. I really liked this um, post. Absolutely. Yeah, they both they both lost with a lot of class. Uh, you know, it, uh, I gained a lot of respect for both of them. Um, but Paige at the end of her says, P.S. The ball, and then in parentheses you put disc, never lies. I now know that I missed the triple mando on 10 in round four. I can promise you if I would have known in the moment, I would have never taken the call. I am certainly not a cheaper, and I hope you can you all can understand how the ruling was made and then had the red heart emoji. So that's her statement mm. on it. We have nothing to do <laughs> but believe her. Uh, I think the yeah. camera yeah. angle, you don't know what the sun was like in her eyes. You know, the camera has like sun shades and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You don't know like you don't know what Paige saw and didn't see. No one knows it but her. And she is right here saying, I didn't know in the moment that I missed it. And obviously no well, one on her card was confident enough to say anything. So yeah, there's no point in going back at it anyways now because yeah. it doesn't really matter. Exactly. Yeah. So. I just, she has made her statement. There is no reason to not believe her. So yeah. hopefully the disc golf community who was calling her cheaters all week, a lot of them were, will just shut up and move on from it because there's no reason yeah. to, to keep pounding this when, you know, it, it didn't end up mattering. And she says that she didn't see it. So we have to believe her. There's no, there's no reason to not believe that. Uh, the yeah. final section of the good, uh, hopefully we've covered the good enough that when we get to the bad and the ugly, you Everybody know, everyone we hate it. Yeah, there was a lot of good that happened at Worlds. Uh, yeah. The final section of the good, at least in my eyes, was the total purse size. Now, there's going to be some of this in the bad because I think of the way <laughs> the announcement was handled and some of the questions that were never got answered. Uh, but $173,000 for a disc golf purse, I believe 100000 of it was added cash, um now was it distributed exactly how i would have liked no but the winner for mpo took home sixteen thousand five hundred dollars and for fpo took home ten thousand dollars which overall is, is pretty awesome yeah uh when it's all awesome. said yeah. and done. did you did you look up what our, in our breakdown like what the winner would have took Do you, you know you know i did so james conrad it? if the breakdown would have been the way we always advocate for james conrad would have taken home twenty four thousand five hundred dollars and last place would have still taken home $290. On FPO, Katrina Allen would have taken home $13,000. And last place would have taken home $320. So that's what I'm saying. It wasn't distributed exactly how I would have wanted to. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people were commenting about that because they're like, oh, great, largest purse ever. And yet the world champion still got paid less than the Pro Tour champion. Um, it's a problem. Yeah. The, they could have paid James more than the Pro Tour champion. They could have paid him close to twenty five grand, But... Purse size is encouraging, though. No, yeah, the purse size being that large, you know, I, I don't think that should be overlooked. Um, I think the way it was announced and some of the, like some of the things around it just kind of confused people. Um, I saw I saw some some people on Twitter just were like, "Let's blindly accept it. This is great." Other people, including myself, were like, "I'm not blindly accepting anything after what I've seen from the PGA." <laughs> yeah, there's a whole lot of that going on on Twitter lately. Like, we're, we got to question these things so they get better. Yeah. Um, because like my whole question was was 173,000 as big as it could have been when they magically found the 40 grand. But we'll talk about that later in this episode. Um, but yeah, I thought overall that's a that's a win for the sport. It's the largest purse size of any disc golf event is what they were saying. Um, and I believe that's true because it was straight from the PDGA's mouth. Uh, it's definitely the largest, you know, the only one that could have been larger I think possibly was the Pro Tour Championship last year, but I don't think it was because they didn't pay out as many. They just paid people out higher. So like mm. the winner took home more, but they didn't pay as deep. They paid 84 players here, which is 40% of the field. Um, but yeah, I mean, James Conrad, another thing you have to realize is pretty much all of these players have like world's bonuses 
in their contracts. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a solid chance that James took home, I mean, probably, I, I, this is pure speculation based on other contracts that I uh, know and don't know, but there's a solid chance that James could have taken home close to 40 grand for that win when it was all said and done, maybe more. So, life-changing moment, not only money-wise, but also marketing-wise. His name's probably going to be on a disc for the rest of his life now. And from what I understand, the MVP is still coming out with like the James Conrad line. I mean, MVP is going to have a world champ disc. Yeah, MVP to the moon. I mean, MVP, they 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 took a risk on Conrad. Uh, there's no other way to really put it. Uh, just it's because, a great play. You know, you don't know what a player's going to do with your disc. They gave him a big contract, and boy, did it pay off. Um, yeah, so, huge play. Yeah, it, it ended up being great for him. So before we get into anything else, though, it's time for the fan favorite segment, Trevor's Trivia. Trevor, what do you got for me? You're chilling at a beach right now. Did you look up a trivia question? Yeah, I did. Oh, look at him. Did. Look I, at him I, working I on vacation. Out, look at him go. I, I picked out a pretty uh, simple one. Well, not simple and the the answer is simple. Is this is this for simple. Connor and I or just for me? Uh, I you know I'm not that you know I actually let Connor answer this. See if he knows the answer first, and then you can help oh, him. I say, so it's not even for me. Okay. So no, it's for I'll, I'll see if you. I'll see if Connor can answer it first, and then you can you can assist him. So don't embarrass uh, me. I picked a pretty simple question because I knew. Now you'll you'll have a chance at I this question for Connor. sure. So, with his world title, James became the second player from Virginia to win Worlds, joining Johnny Cias in the 80s. Over the previous decade until now, MPO World Champs have hailed from just three different states. Can you name them? So, that's 2011 through 2021, not including just Virginia this states. year. There's three other states. Well, is Paul considered Virginia? No. So, then, no. Uh, then Huntington Beach, so California. Correct. Uh, California, North Carolina. Nope. Ricky's from South. Dang it, South Carolina. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I should know that. But uh, yeah, okay. So California, South Carolina. So I just have one more, right? Yeah. One more. And it's going to be your 2011 There's... winner. Oh. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, because Barsby in 18 is also Cal. Yeah, he's Grass Valley, California. Why do I know that? I don't know. But I, <laughs> I do. Um, I'm going to say... I don't know. I don't want to just throw out a random guess. Help me out, Hunter. I'm trying to think who the 2011 winner was. <laughs> yeah, who was the 2011 winner? It was it before was Paul. Year, I can tell you that. I know you're not going to tell me that. It was the year Paige Pierce won her first. Uh, the year before Paul won his first. Yeah, Emac won in 2010, I believe. So who won in twenty eleven? I just, I feel like you I feel like the last question had this in it and I guessed it somehow or like two questions ago, like one of the Trevor's trivia had twenty eleven in it. Feldberg would it have been Doss? Oh, I'm gonna go Oregon. Correct. It was Nate Doss. Nice. There we go. Well done. All right. Here we go. That was ladies a fun and one, gentlemen. Trevor. That was a fun one. Let's get into this. World's the bad and the ugly. So the bad is some of the events that transpired <laughs> behind the scenes. Wait, what did you just say, Trevor? You sound like a robot. <laughs> I just laughed because I just know that like this is when a podcast. <laughs> Can y'all hear me? Uh, uh, Trevor's on that beach Wi-Fi this week. <laughs> you, you, can y'all hear me? Now we can. We yeah, can yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Okay, it must have just blipped for a second. 
They just didn't want it's the PDGA. They cut your Wi-Fi. They don't want you talking about this. <laughs> yeah, they're trying to give me they're trying to keep me from exposing them. Trying to censor you. Yeah. Uh so the world's the bad is the some of the events that transpired behind it, and the ugly is the way the PDGA responded slash didn't respond. Um, so there's a few mm-hmm. issues that we're going to bring up, we're going to talk through, and then I want you to stay, hang around because at the very end, after we get through the issues, we're going to end on a positive note, which is what can we do to move forward from these things? How can we take steps to fix this and what the PDGA can do to kind of earn players and my personal trust back? Um, so I think that that's going to be an important part, which is what do we do about worlds? I think that's an important part to this segment. I don't want you just to end on all the negative that did happen behind it. I also don't want this to have a negative effect on the world championships. That's why we talked about the good first, because the players brought it. Um, they brought it so much that a lot of people, I think, forgot about what was going on beginning in the week, which is great for the sport. But at the same time, we need to talk about these issues because we need to address them since the PDGA refuses to and move forward from it. Let's not let it. Let's not let the PDGA get away with what happened because of the ending of Worlds. Because right exactly. now they probably feel like that's what's going to happen. So let's not let that happen. Yeah, we need to make sure we hold them accountable because at the end of the day, us and a lot of other people are paying them a lot of money every year to be PDGA members, and what they do with that money, or in this case, didn't do with that money, uh, should be very important to us. Um, so we need to make yes. sure that we hold them accountable because at the end of the day, and the PDGA president of the board of directors was very open about this that the board of directors don't answer to nobody but the players and yet for some reason the players are the very people that they just screwed so uh let's go into the issue number one kick the whole week off the driving range brody smith shows up round one day one and is met with the realization that they're only going to be able to throw into nets on the driving range at the at mulligan's golf course as the other half of the golf course was not rented out and was still being used for iron work and stuff like that by golfers So they're not allowed to throw down the range as the range is still open to golfers. So Brody posted on social media explaining the situation and that it only cost him $1,000 to rent out the other half. Some people were like, oh, Brody's flexing. He just spent $1,000. Trust me, Brody was not flexing with that. He was saying it literally only cost me $1,000. Like this is something that Mm -hmm. was super easy to take care of. And then the PDJ ended up stepping up and paying for it the rest of the week. Um, we went over a lot of the details in last week's episode, but we said we were waiting to see if the PDJ said anything, which they didn't, right. but in a much real, more real way they did. Um, so on, in an Ulti World article, uh, Danny Voss, the PDJ director of marketing, is quoted as saying, when the Utah Open was a pro tour event, the warm-up area was the same setup used then. Uh, this, was, this was really the first we heard about players wanting to be able to air the disc down the range. A similar warm-up area like this is available at many Elite Series events like MVP, Fountain Hills, and in Peoria. It's not a unique thing to this venue, but I would consider it an oversight because it had been a try... I would consider... This is kind of confusing me because their quote says, I would consider it an oversight because it had been a tried-and-true method in the past. So I don't know if that was supposed to say I wouldn't consider it an oversight because it had been a tried-and-true method in the past, or if he said I would consider it an oversight, but then just contradicts himself saying it's been a tried and true method in the past yeah Uh, that doesn't make any sense the next quote that was also from him says there's not a lack of people to reach out to on the site but sometimes these conversations don't happen and that seems to be the case on tuesday okay first my i have my two things i'll let you talk about let both of you give your things first off i find it laughable very laughable that their initial excuse is like oh we didn't know players wanted to air out their drive who would who would think at a world championship a player would want to see how their disc flew before they got out on the course who that is yeah. you know, mind-boggling i'm i am shocked that a player would want to do that you know what i mean just 
Wow. Yeah. Who would have thought? Who well, they don't want, they don't think they want to hurt their discs on the ground. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I'd rather right before the tournament yeah. get it some might, scratches. It makes a lot more sense just to throw it into a net <laughs> yeah. and get the little black marks it on something mm-hmm. that people love that. That's what the players wanted. So, you know, Brody's in the minority here. Um, but I also think it's funny that they immediately try to turn the tables on Brody and say like, "Hey, I know it's right before your round." Uh, clearly we had the option to take care of this problem already, but for some reason we chose not to, but, uh, you could have at least spent your time searching for Todd Lyon, I think is who they said, or the TD or someone on our staff instead of warming up to fix this issue that we could have fixed, but chose not to, um, instead of walking into the clubhouse and fixing the issue yourself in two minutes. Like they, they basically oh. immediately were like, well, Brody, why, why didn't you come search for us? You know, you showed up an hour before your round cause you wanted to warm up. Why didn't you spend 30 minutes this of that is, looking for one of us so that we might be able to take care of this issue that we could have taken care of but chose not to because we didn't think you'd want to actually warm up? And it would have taken much more than this, an hour for them to fix this, that issue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is the theme. This is the theme with this, all this stuff we're going to talk about. This is the theme. There's a few themes. Number one, the PGA acting like they can do no wrong and never, ever apologizing for anything. And number two, making the players seem like idiots for not – coming up with these solutions that they provide that were actually just oversights by them that needed fixed by the players who are there to play the world championships, not fix their problems. Yeah. And my, it is, I, I've thought I've never go for, go ahead. I, I'm just saying I've never seen a sport organization who is supposed to represent like the players and the members like make us the bad guys. Like yeah. it's, it's ridiculous. You are you in that situation, what you do as a professional organization is you release a statement apologizing for the oversight and you fix the problem. And then guess what? We shut up about it. It's yeah. Yeah. All, all that happens and get, and we would never be talking about it ever again. We would have been coming off this world thinking that oh, was a great event. Like they fixed the one problem we had. And it was a little hiccup, but right, like they just completely, it's they just picked up their shovel and they just start digging themselves a hole and they just kept yeah. going basically. Well, they also gave examples of like other events that might not have warm up areas, but what they, this is they, a world championship. Well, <laughs> also what they failed to realize is every single one of those events, there is a provided area, maybe not provided by the event, but like a known thing. Like I believe Paul yeah. said like fountain, fountain Hills. There's like uh soccer fields that they all go warm up. Like every single event that they listed, there's either a soccer field, a course, or a hole, there's something provided where players typically go there and warm up, airing the disc out, like the PDGA seems to think players don't want to do, uh, where they can see the disc fly and actually warm up, and then they show up to those courses. And on top of it, they're like, "This was this. We did this at the Utah Open, and no one complained. The Utah Open was a, a pro B tier, I believe. It was an A slash B tier. This is a major. Like, yeah, if All I right. showed up to an A tier and it was on a golf course, yeah, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't complain either because yeah. it's an A tier. If it was a C tier, B tier, whatever. Yeah, I wouldn't complain because like you're, I, I wouldn't expect them to pay to rent out the whole thing and whatever. It's an A tier, you know. I'll warm up with what I can warm up at a World Championship. Yeah, I'm gonna complain because this is worlds. This is the player's livelihood. This is what so many players' careers are hinging on this moment. And there also wasn't really a good warm up spot at the fort either. So neither of these courses had somewhere where they could really warm up. Paul said his plan, and what he ended up doing was to go to Mulligans and use the driving range uh, every day to warm up before driving to the fort. So had Brody yeah. not made this a, p- a public issue, had Brody not paid for that initially, a lot of players would have just had nowhere to warm up either round, uh, except for throwing yeah. a disc into the net. Um, but the issue to me, too, is this was made very public uh, because Brody obviously tweeted about it. And then many, many players voiced their thankfulness to Brody, uh, sharing his post, offering to Venmo him, whatever. So it was a, it was a public issue. The public saw it. 
and yet the PDGA stayed silent on it publicly. Uh, they sent yeah. an email out to players that, uh, from what I understand and what I've read, kind of addressed it, but not really. It was super broad and just like, hey, we made a mistake earlier. Sorry, we will do better. But they sent it only to the players and just completely ignored the the public side of it. They completely ignored that side altogether. Uh, and then to make everything even worse for them, Sir President of the Board of Directors himself decided, hey, you know what? This is a great What's idea. What's his name? I don't want to say his name on this podcast. <laughs> he doesn't deserve it. Uh, he said it was a good idea to go on a podcast and let his true colors show. Uh, he said that he thought renting the driving range and sharing it on social media was kind of a jerk move by Brody. And basically just tried to, again, say that he went about it the wrong way. He should have found someone on the ground to take care of it for him well, instead of taking care of it and, himself. And his biggest point, too, was like, he's basically saying, oh, Brody should have kept it low-key and kept it under wraps. Like, as if it's Brody's job to keep your secrets yeah. of your oversight. Like, no, that's just not that's just not the case. He's Brody's not on your team if you're yeah. not going to help him out. Like, maybe if the PDGA was always so amazing to Brody and something like that happened, he'd be a little more willing to keep it under wraps. But they have a history of doing some kind of dumb things. So yeah. guess what? Like, you're going to get called on it. That's well, not how only, it works. That's- yeah, not only that, but this guy, like, earlier in the episode was of this, like, he was on, it was like Froth Center or Frother Magazine's podcast, something like that. Earlier in the episode, this guy is talking about how, like, they're saying, so do you even have, uh, like, what's your role, whatever? Do you even make decisions? And he was like, yeah, you know, we make a lot of decisions. We make a lot of decisions behind the scenes. And they're like, well, you're not, like, the executive director. He's like, no, the executive, direc- executive director answers to us. They're like, well, who do you answer to? He's like, I answer to nobody. Like, he said that. He's like, I don't answer to anybody. He's like, well, technically, I guess I answer to the players. Whatever. Well, and then, <laughs> and then later in the episode, this guy decides to speak on page with the U.S. women's yeah. situation. And initially he goes, well, some, they said like, you know, the PDJ was getting roasted for what Paige was saying. And he yeah. goes, well, that's not what I saw. And they're like, well, what do you mean? And he's like, that's all we saw. He goes, well, I didn't see a lot of roasting, but, you know, trust me, I heard a lot of roasting behind the scenes. Basically making it seem like the people at the PDGA were bad talking the greatest female player of all time for calling them on their BS that was how they handled the U.S. Women's Championship. They basically just want no accountability and said he had the audacity to call Paige's behavior on this disingenuous and self-serving when she called out the PDGA because of how poorly they were running the U.S. Women's. Uh, This guy... This guy is an absolute joke, period. And the PDJ has been completely silent about their president of the board of directors saying this about two of their touring professionals, one of them being the face of the PDGA in a lot of ways, Paige Pierce. And it's just, I, I cannot believe, A, he said this. I think he's saying it because he knows his time's up. He, he's not rerunning for the board of directors. So he's like, I'm, I got one foot out the door. You know what I mean? Who cares? But the PDGA, yeah. again, stayed completely silent on this. You have the president of the board of directors making statements like this, and you're just going to sit back and not say anything. It, it is it is bad news for them right now because there's a lot brewing on the player side, uh, I, behind the scenes as well. And if they don't start compromising and making wise decisions and, and advocating for the players and going to the players and also restoring their public image, if they don't start doing this soon, then the PDJ is going to get squeezed out of professional disc golf because, as we've talked about before. The pro tour does not need the PDGA in any capacity. So, if, and if they separate from the PDGA, then that's going to start a, I think, a shift, and where people are going to start realizing they don't need it. We're not going to keep paying your membership fees just for tournament ratings. Like it's, it's not good for them right now. Yeah. So there is an election coming up. I'm gonna talk about that a little bit more later. But personally, 
what my one of my big criteria for how I'm voting in this PDG election is I refuse to vote for a court current board member right now. Because yeah. if this president guy again, I don't even want to I don't want to give him the credit of saying his name on our podcast. If this guy's a representation of the board, then I want anyone that possibly is on the same wavelength as him with his attitude towards the players in professional disc golf and his attitude of we don't answer to anyone. Well, I guess we answer to the players and like this whole attitude of like we can't do any wrong and we don't want to be held accountable. I don't want any of that at the PDGA. And there's also been some stigma that like the board of directors is just figureheads and they don't do anything. Well, at the end of the day, if they if the board of directors doesn't do anything, that's the board of directors' fault because they're the ones who are in control of the PDGA. They're the ones who can make the decision to fire the executive director, to do whatever needs to be done. Not that I have met Joe, the executive director, in person. Uh, from when I've met him in person, I was very impressed. I really liked the guy. I really liked his vision for disc golf. I'm kind of surprised that this is kind of all happening under his control. So that's not what I'm calling for at all. But I'm saying is the board of directors should have the most power. So if they're sitting here saying like, well, we don't really make any decisions of value, like we don't really have that much power, then that's your own fault and you need to get off the board. So personally, I don't like, there's a lot of people, there's eight people up. Some of them are up for re-election. I'm not voting for the people that are up for re-election. Sorry, I don't know you, but clearly if you're representing yourself with this guy and you're not making a statement with this guy, then I'm not voting for you. Um, but there's a lot of people who, some of them I agree with them, some of them I disagree with, but I want people to take, you know, make an educated decision and read up on that. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. But that's my current stance. Is I'm, I refuse to vote for a current board member because if we're not going to make a statement, we're not going to make a stand on this as the PDGA and say like, hey, this is wrong, what our president did, get him off the board, whatever. If we're just going to act like it didn't happen or that it's okay, then no one no one that's on the board deserves to be on the board. That's absolutely ridiculous in my eyes. I can't, I'm blown away. This is what we're seeing right now. Well said, well said. Yep. All right, well, that was point one. Let's go to <laughs> issue number two, uh, the OB lines. Oh, man, this was criminal. If you're wondering, your phone wasn't ringing. My phone was ringing. Uh, <laughs> they just said her, my phone routed through um my dad's calling me for some reason but the ob lines so practicing to the event day of the event a lot of the ob's at mulligans were not painted um the day before the second round for mpo out there they decide to go out and paint the lines around the bunkers water areas some of the ob eagle mcmahon called it out on instagram saying this is his quote from his instagram story thank you to all the staff who worked hard to make worlds happen it takes a lot of work to make an event of this magnitude happen, but I have to say that there needs to be standards. Today, dozens of players lost strokes due to bunkers, shorelines, and greens that were painted last night during the event. It is not acceptable. Once the event has started, leave, it, leave the course alone unless it's deemed unsafe. Again, I am grateful for the people who volunteered their time, but the PDGA shouldn't let this happen at their biggest event. He then posted a picture of a disc and said, this shot is safe round one, but not round three. This was another thing that a lot of people people were saying this should have been taken care of behind the scenes. Why are you making this public? But from from what I have heard, are you kidding me? That was an amazing post. Yeah, but that was like I don't I can't think of a better way to word that. I completely agree with you. But people complain because people like to hear their brain rattle. Uh, from what I've heard, Ricky had. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm in a very hostile mood. I shouldn't have taken that <laughs> I out. Don't tell. I shouldn't have taken oh. that out on the people who are complaining. I understand why people are saying like, "Hey, there's there's people on the course that could take care of this issue." I understand where they're coming from. I, I'm still just heated from this president of the board of directors. Anyways, <laughs> from what I've heard, Ricky had been talking to people for weeks since the Utah Open. Because if you remember in the Utah Open coverage, there was an issue with Nico where Nico's shot in the bunker was too close to call. Mm-hmm. And Ricky apparently, after the Utah Open, went to tournament directors to organizers and was like, this needs to be taken care of before Worlds. We need this painted. Yeah. 
and yet they decide not to do it before Worlds and do it in the middle of the tournament. That, yeah, that, that right there, the fact that there was an event run that's like the same thing bef- the week before Worlds, like that oversight should have been seen. Because it's, it's a weird issue because as much as I side with Eagle on like the whole like this shot was in yesterday, it's not. Well, like, at least everybody was playing the same course. It's not like, I, I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, nobody played on the same day, nobody played the two different layouts, right? Correct, correct. Of like painted or not painted. Correct. Although I suppose, I suppose that was it, would it affected a certain pool of players that would no, have they, played? They Mulligan? painted it after both people, after both pools had played okay. and before both pools so, played their second. As far as Eagle, I'm assuming a lot of his complaint probably had to do with the fact that he was just a little upset that his shot was out of bounds because the lines being there doesn't change really the fact that you have to throw a shot and avoid the bunkers. However, the more important part of this, which is also what he was highlighting, is that it was done in the middle of the event. I agree that unless the course is unsafe, you have to let the course play how it's been playing. That's just that's just how it is. Um, unless it's a more a much more simpler fix, I suppose. I guess maybe it's a case by case thing. But in this case, yeah, I I don't understand how, especially if Ricky highlighted it. How on earth do you not go out there and paint the lines? It just pretty much comes down to laziness, I would assume. Like, <laughs> just go out there and paint those lines, you know? Like, and you have well, OB that's tough to define. You got to do something. I don't know how it wasn't painted in the first place. Like, even without Ricky complaining, or at least, like, a string or, or some type of clear, defined line. I mean, this is the world championships. Like, this is yeah. This, yeah. this course should have been perfect, especially with them playing the same course last week. Yeah, this like, they, they, had, they had an exact test run to be yeah. able to yeah. see, hey, like... And they, they had one of the best players in the world tell them where it needed to be improved. Yeah, and yet we don't right. do it. I, and we do we choose to do it in the middle of the tournament. Like at least if you're not going to do it, just don't do it. You know what I mean? Like if you're already made the decision, like we're not going to pay. Yeah. yeah. Because the the biggest thing to me is, and this is what Nick was talking about. Some on the Nick and Matt show is like players go out and practice, and they know where the OB is and where the OB isn't and stuff like that. Most of it was like the same. Nick was saying the issue he had was sometimes like the line on like the water side they like pulled it like three feet off the water mm-hmm. to where yeah, that's like, a good point you could have been on the grass not necessarily you're aiming to be within three feet of the water mm-hmm. but now you don't have as much room per se so like your shot oh. selection might have been a little bit different had you known how much room's back there whatever they they practiced and prepared for a course that was different than the course they ended up having to play the second time it's mainly Basically. like the yep. principle of it. The fact that exactly. they, the course that they were now playing in the second round wasn't the same course that they had practiced for in the first it round. It probably, I mean, I'm sure it made a difference of a stroke here and there, like Eagle's picture. Yeah. Uh, but it probably Where didn't it probably change. wasn't a, a perfect shot to begin exactly. with. Exactly. It probably didn't change how they prepared. Mm-hmm. Like if the course was painted that way, they probably were all throwing the same shot. But like you were saying, it's the principle of it. Yeah. Where it can, mm-hmm. it can play a mind game. Like imagine Eagle, yeah. you walk up and you're like, dude, all day, all time in practice, you know, all of this, I'm inbounds, and now all of a sudden I'm out. Yeah. Just because That's I changed the point. line here. It's just a That's mental a it's a mental thing more it's, than anything, I think. It's being okay with that happening right now means that something more extreme could happen in the future. So yeah. we have to True. make sure that we're fighting against that. Exactly. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh issue number three that I heard brought up were apparently the T pads. Uh, I didn't hear this brought up a ton, oh, but Paul and, Paul and Nick on the Nick and Matt show talked about it a lot as if it was being talked about a lot on on the premise, like on the course. Um, but they said several of the tees were unlevel. 
Uh, like Paul had mentioned on 16, some of the turf were installed backwards. So you're playing with the turf mm-hmm. one way over and over and over, and then you get to a hole and the turf's going the opposite way. And apparently hole 18 had um, like a different type of turf oh, no. and was like super soft, almost like a sponge at the fort. And then uh, hole 18 at Mulligan's was like straight uphill, Nick was saying. Um, geez, sounds like Sounds like they got to get Kenny out there to do the tease. Yeah, if only, if only they had the Bedford Parks and Rec. <laughs> I mean, th- that's the thing. Nick and Paul might just be super uh They might be spoiled. super <laughs> The new London D-Bats are the nicest D-Bats I've ever seen. Yeah, <laughs> but the point behind that was, from what I have heard, um, I don't know how true this exact statement is, but I have heard that there is a chance they awarded a world's bid to Utah before the courses were done and taken care of. So basically, sight unseen, the PDGA hadn't been out there and actually seen what it was going to look like and gave the world's bid to them. Now, if that that's the case, sense. that doesn't make any sense at all. That sucks. Uh, the but thing is, that's what well, they were saying as to like, that's possibly why the T pads are like this. The thing is, you got to give, I mean, a lot of times bids, like even like obviously like Olympic bids go out before a lot of stadiums are built and things like that. But if you're going to do that, if you're going to allow a bid to go to somewhere where things aren't finished, you have to also have a set of standards that those need to be complete to. And if they're not, then it just doesn't happen because like that's, that's the risk you take on. So you need to like tell them, okay, you have the world's bid, but your T pads need to be these exact dimensions and you need to have these things in place. Like there needs to be standards for that. Yeah. Well, I think we'll, we'll talk about some of the resolutions here in a second, but I agree with you a hundred percent there. Um, cause I think there's, there's certain things that will solve a lot of these issues, um, that we'll talk about here in a second. But the final thing, uh, and I am going to list this as an issue. It's not necessarily the 40 K $40,000 being added to the purse. That was a great thing. Uh, but the way it was announced was weird. So they had made an yeah. announcement, a big announcement for the largest purse in professional disc golf history at $133,000 early in the week, right? There was no, I re- went back and read it. Nowhere in it did it allude to the possibility of more money being added later in the week. It, it said, this is, this is your purse. It's officially the largest in disc golf history, whatever. Very clear, 133000 They even posted the, the like payout, projected payout like per person, all of that. This was the official purse. All this crap starts coming out about the board of directors, president, deciding to show your colors, the, all the stuff that starts happening. And then the next day, they announce another 40000 by the local staff. And their thing is that they fundraised until the last minute. Uh, so I immediately quote re- retweeted this and said, like, they just randomly stumbled upon $40,000 like that. You know, it's great, but something seems weird here because it does. Uh, and the director of marketing just immediately started responding to me from his personal Twitter and kept telling me like, it's a good thing, but refused to answer yeah. my questions for more <laughs> context and detail. He's like, he's trying to brainwash you. He just kept saying, this is a good thing. Make sure we treat this as a good thing. Yeah, he's like, like, do you not realize we can, treat, we can look at however we want? I'm like, yeah, like, I agree. Like- I agree. The $40,000 is a good thing. But where the heck did it come from? And cheers, like, cheers. why wasn't it? Why my whole thing is if it, if this was from the local staff and this was the local staff's like fundraising efforts, whatever they have had, they would have been awarded this bid in 2018 to have worlds in 2020. Then 2020 got canceled. They got another year to 2021. So three years of preparation. And you expect me to believe that the reason this 40,000 just kind of came up was they fundraised until the very last day. And like the PDGA just didn't have any expectation. Cause if the PDGA knew $40,000 or even if it was $10,000, if they knew a certain amount was coming, like the, they had to have known if that's the case. 
And then why would they announce the 30, 133 is the official payout without no mention of like, hey, this is the official payout for now. There's a big chance that we're going to get an additional, you know, 20 plus thousand dollars coming. Like that would have been a much bigger the story. Pro- yeah. The biggest issue is you needed to announce when you announce the purse, you need to announce that there's a possibility for the purse to increase. You don't need to announce the amount because I understand you don't want to give the pros higher expectations or the fans, but you need to say there is a chance with fundraising still continuing that the purse could increase slightly. You also, the biggest problem probably is the fact that it just so happened that this purse money gets added in the midst of a absolute house fire going on at the PDGA. And it just seems very fishy that like your, everything is going against the PDGA and then they try and release this and it looks like they're just trying to save face. Like it's going, everybody stops. And then they're, yeah. And then they're tweeting about it saying, oh, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. It just all, all of it looks like you're just trying to cover up yeah. your mistakes. Well, I heard, some people, like. I heard some people saying like, oh, well, they were waiting on ticket sales to be finalized. Ticket sales went, online, went for sale online and were sold out like months in advance through the disc golf scene. If, if this was ticket sales money, they've had it. They, they, and even if it wasn't, the, my whole thing is, I just, it, it felt like the 40,000 like, took the PDJ by surprise. And like that doesn't right. make sense to me. Like the way they handle yeah. it, the way they announce so it, much money. it doesn't make sense. Like you don't you don't just wake up one morning like, oh my word, we have forty thousand dollars to add to the tournament, and you didn't know about it the day before. Like yeah. it, none and of that if, made sense. And they just kept saying like, well, they this is a good thing. Like they kept fundraising through the last second. Mm-hmm. And then if it was like a sponsor, like let's say that Red Bull at the last second was like, hey, this world is going great. We've loved the attention that's been brought to it. <laughs> didn't happen. Uh, we're gonna throw forty thousand dollars at it. Then they would have been saying Red Bull just added forty thousand dollars to the purse. We would have, yeah, it, it and wasn't we would have seen Red Bull. We would have seen it plastered all over the rest of the world. Yeah, too, so that that to me tells me this wasn't a sponsor. This wasn't someone who was like, "Hey, we're going to add forty thousand dollars." I believe this probably was a local thing, but what I've heard, and I've heard this from several different sources, um, that there was a lot of chatter behind the scenes with the players where they started doing some math. And started questioning the PDGA and local staff because of how much money they knew was coming in uh, to the tournament and how little of that money seemed to be in the purse in comparison to it. And then the PDGA the next day announces $40,000. So somebody was taking home a little bonus. So what I think was going on was they were profiting obscene amounts and the players were like, hey, like, why is only a hundred thousand? Like, why is it only one hundred and thirty-three thousand? Like, I get that that's the biggest. So first, sketchy, but like, man. But like, somebody why is that? Au- somebody needs to audit the PDGA. Well, the thing is, the audit that comes out every year for the PDGA it, it shows like big. broad categories, but doesn't so show big. the nitty gritty. It's it's yeah. like as as detailed as it needs to be for legal reasons, but then it leaves just enough room for you to question and say, what what the heck? Because here's the deal: we know from the audit and everything, the PDGA brings in millions a year and has hundreds of thousands, if not millions at this point in a bank account. So like, it's not like they're sitting there and like hurting for money when it comes to, when it comes to this, like if they wanted to, they could probably have like a $250,000 purse at this event and it would have been okay. Like it's not like that. That's the thing too, to me is like what, what I'm questioning more so is a, where did this 40,000 come from? B, if it came from the PDGA or from the event or from wherever they're saying it came from, why was it not in there on the 133,000? Because you really expect me to, that's the thing is they're just expecting us to believe that 133,000 was announced. And then like the next day they woke up to like a text from someone being like, Hey, you, you just happened to forget our $40,000 we're giving you today. 
so sketchy. Like, none of it makes sense. But then, like, if that's the scenario they're expecting us to believe, right? Why, why not mention it? Why not mention yeah. that there's a possibility of more money? And then, if that's not the situation, if that's just what they're painting, which I think is the more likely thing, if they're just painting us this picture that it was raised at the last second or through the last second, but real in reality, they had this money the whole time and they just were holding on to it for some reason. How much more could have been added? Like, if you're willing, if if that's the truth, if that rumor and everything is the truth, and you were willing to withhold at least forty thousand dollars for yourself. How much did these people actually walk away with if they gave up forty? Like, do they have another eighty thousand in their pocket? Which you open I, up a can of, can of worms. I fully basically. think that the people running this tournament should profit off of it. The people running, they should make some money, one hundred percent. But if you could just immediately be like, "Oh crap, things are hitting the fan. Here's forty thousand dollars," and like you're okay with that, then like how much are yeah. you profiting? And if you're like, you're profiting off of players coming and being there, so like. If someone walked away after throwing forty thousand, still profiting like a hundred grand, there's no reason to believe that happened. So don't say that that's what I'm saying. What happened? But if that happened, I hope that person feels real guilty because, like, you know, I don't know. I, I don't. I, I this whole situation. I'm happy. One hundred and seventy-three thousand dollars was the purse. That's a good thing. I agree. You don't have to try to brainwash me. I'm not going to stare, and you're not going to hypnotize me. I keep telling me it's a good thing. Every other tweet. This dude is like a deflection expert. Like he just danced around the point. <laughs> Like he he salsa danced on my point without answering it, but like I get it, forty thousand dollars, it's a good thing. But why the heck was it announced this way, and why was it so vague? Like if you're gonna make this big announcement, give us some more details as to why you didn't know about it the day before. That's what. That's why I think that if it was really like, I don't I don't see a negative to saying where the money came from because that's that's what makes me think that it's got to be something like kind of weird going on yeah something that they might not be super proud of because any like any reason why that money's there for a good reason you'd happily announce it be like yeah. oh it, t- it turns out we're able to add forty thousand dollars because our local scene or whatever decided to raise this money like well that's the other thing that's that's like, what they're kind of saying is like the local staff raised this money so then are you telling me when 133,000 yeah. was announced the local staff had put zero into the tournament? Yeah. Or it, I mean or if that's the case then you guys didn't try as hard as you could to raise the money because $40,000 if they had 3 years to prepare for it and they added $4,000 a year to how much more they could have raised then we would have had a 200 and something. But like yeah, that's two, what I'm saying is like 000. there's so many it just the way they announced if they would have announced 173,000 as a pro purse right off the bat, no one's questioning anything at all. all. Right. Yeah. Because that, that, okay, cool. But the way they announced 133,000, they tried to make it a big post, like a big point. That's the thing, too, is they tried to make the 133,000 a big point. And then, like, a day later, add 40,000 to it. Like, you, yeah. they, they're expecting us to believe that. That's what I don't even know what they're expecting us to believe. Because there's no way they, that's, my, that's what I keep going back to. There's no way they didn't know this money was coming if it was truly from the local staff. Yeah. There's no way. So if it's truly what if they're expect us to believe what else, what they're telling us, then there's no way when they made the post of 133,000 that they didn't know this was coming. And if they if they knew it was coming, then why announce the 133,000 without saying there's more coming? Or why not add cuz the local staff didn't raise 40,000 in one day. So why yeah. not add what the local staff had already and you know then the remaining amount of like 10,000 or 5,000, whatever they, they sold or whatever the next day, however that remaining money came from, either don't announce it again and like just add it to the purse or just say like, 
you know, $170,000 is the pro purse when you make your announcement, there's a chance of additional money from fundraising discs, whatever, coming in later this week. No yeah. one's questioning anything. You know what I mean? It's just the way it happened makes me think, and I'm almost 100% positive, that something went on behind the scenes that they don't want us to know about. Mm-hmm. There's no, that's the only thing that makes sense is that something fishy happened behind the scenes for this $40,000 where someone was either pocketing it, they found out, they got on them, they gave it to them, or the PDGA was planning on just keeping it, but they decided to try to make a PR move and get all the heat off of them by doing it. Something happened where they're not being fully truthful for where this 40000 came from because if they were being very truthful and open, like you were saying, then there, there's no, if it's a very truthful, open, good thing that this 40000 came from, then there's nothing we're questioning. Yeah. Because there's no reason to question yeah. it. But they just right, left yeah. it. They left it way too open to where we have to question it. Yeah. All right. Those are the issues. What the heck do we do about it? So what do we do about worlds to make it positive ending, positive spin? None of this ever happens again, and we all ride off into the sunset uh, in disc golf glory. My first thought, everyone's first thought, is for the PDGA to give 100% control of the pro side to the pro tour and let the PDGA focus on rules and growing the AM side of the sport. My biggest reasoning for this is that the pro tour has proven that they have great communication with the players, uh, and all of this would have been sorted out without us ever knowing. They also, I think, the pro tour holds themselves to a much higher standard than the PDGA apparently does looking at this event. But the big thing is, like, the pro tour has, like, player groups and stuff like that, like on Facebook and different things where players are constantly chattering lead up to the event to where when something goes wrong, the players can post in this. And then the more important thing is the pro tour has proven that they listen to those things. So when something's going wrong, leading up to the event, like the OB line, a player, it's going to be a lot less intimidating for a player to just go on the Facebook group and be like, Hey, anyone else think this, the OB lines need to be a little bit clearer or whatever. And then that, that post gains traction. All these players can say it without having to take it public. Um, because that's the thing, too, is a lot of this was tried to handle in private with the PDGA, from what I understand. Uh, also, I've heard that players who did leave event feedback did not get the response that you would expect. It was kind of like, a, oh, thanks for the feedback. You know, we'll, we'll try to do better type of a thing. Like, there, there hasn't really been an apologetic response from the PDGA, whereas I feel like with the Pro Tour, the players bring these things up. They're fixed. And this world would have went off perfectly because the play was there and we would have nothing to talk about on the bad side. This, this world's podcast would have just been called the good of worlds. It wouldn't have been the good, the yeah. bad and the ugly because the bad and the ugly would have been taken care of before it never made it to the public mm-hmm. had the pro tour been in control. So that's yeah. my first solution. I don't know if y'all agree with the pro tour taking control of the pro I, side or not. No, I, I agree completely. I think the PDGA definitely needs a reduced role. I've thought that for a while. Um, if it's just going to be, here's the thing though. It's the problem is the PDGA has zero indication uh, from based on their actions that they're willing to step back in this sport. You know, obviously yeah. they have a, they seem to have a very, you know, we kind of run the show. We answer nobody type attitude. So I have no reason to believe that they're going to want to step back. So then that leads me to believe that really the best thing we can do is just make sure we continue holding them accountable. We make sure we elect people that we really believe in. Uh, and also remember that we control this sport. The PDJ does not control our sport. You know, the players do always. So if, if it really comes down to it, you know, we can create new entities. We can support better ones. We don't need to rely on the PDGA. It's not the end all be all of disc golf. Yeah. Uh, but let's say, let's say like, I agree with you. The PDGA 
from what I've seen, shows no sign of wanting to step back. So let's say the PGA wants to keep their majors. My, my biggest point is they need someone who it is their only job to run majors and make sure the majors are ran well. Uh, yes. I would love, like, I'm just, I would love to have a Worlds in Lynchburg slash Bedford. Uh, I think we have the courses for it. I think that we have the staff that could put it on. I think we have all of that. But I don't want the risk of running one as a local TD. Because it's, this is what it seems like. It seems like if everything goes great, if, PD, if the Worlds goes off without a hitch, the PDGA takes the credit almost. Like, they'll, they'll thank the TD and stuff like that, but everyone's praising the PDGA. What a great event. What a great event. Whatever. If, if everything goes to crap, the PDGA, like, immediately turns their back and starts blaming the players and the local staff. Like, yeah, oh, well, absolutely. the local staff didn't take care of the paint, so we're going to go out, the PDGA staff's going to go out and, and do this for you. You know what I mean? Like, I felt like the PDGA just kind of started crapping on the TD and the local staff in a lot of ways, and they're not necessarily verbally crapping on them, like saying these guys suck, but like their tone towards things was almost like, oh, we're sorry this wasn't up to your standard. The local staff, you know, blah, blah, blah. And just yeah. kept like, so like, why would I want to risk that? Because like, if Worlds came here and like I overlooked something, you know, I overlook whatever, I don't, I don't want the risk of like, then foundation and myself and the rest of the tournament staff, whoever would help me run it, be painted in a bad light. Yeah. Because I've never run a major. Mm-hmm. The, I don't know if Jade, I believe his name is, I don't know if he's ever run a major, but he's ran a Utah Open. Like he's ran some big events, but running a major is a whole different thing. So why are you expecting people who have never run a major to just be able to step up and run a major well yeah. immediately? Like that's a big ask for anyone. And then like, who wants to volunteer for that role? Because like, if you do a great job, it's unnoticed and kind yeah. of unthanked, which being a TD a lot of times does go unnoticed and unthanked. That's part of it. But the bad side of the flip side of that coin is if you do a bad job, it, it doesn't fall back on the PDJ. It feels like it feels like, well, it, well, it does, but the right. PDJ doesn't think it does. Mm-hmm. They feel like they can right. just turn their back and be like, well, the players shouldn't have done this. Well, the, the local staff shouldn't have done this. Like take some accountability. I feel like if you want your majors ran at a high level every single time, you should have someone who that is their job like they show up a month beforehand they make sure that everything is up to a certain standard they are the td they are everything so the pdj has full responsibility for this event and and if it's someone who has now ran 10 world championships in a row they're going to know what players need and don't need at a world championship whereas if you just throw someone into the fire and like all right it's time to run the biggest event in the world for the disc golf you know we're here if you need some support good luck then like who wants that? And I think it, that's, I personally, it, I think this is why the PDGA is struggling to get world's bids. Like right. last year for this world, I think there's only like two or three bids. I would be surprised if they're able to get that many. They might have to pick a spot for this upcoming world yeah. because what we just watched is a TD's nightmare. Yeah. Cause like, right, yeah. I like, I don't want to ever be in that position. So like I've officially, I'm, there's no way I'm putting a bid in for worlds right now because I'm terrified. I don't want to run that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't want to risk that. Who else would? You know, who wants to volunteer for that? That's so much work for the chance of having so much crap just dumped on you. It's I don't know whose decision. It's it's like there it was somebody's decision at some point to lead in the PDGA by convincing all their staff that we need to take a role of authority. We need to take a role of of never being in the wrong. Like every everybody in disc golf needs to believe that we always know that we're right, and that's not a good look for no. an organization like that. Like no. they have to the uh, something like the PDGA has to be something that is able to move around depending on who the people like what the people in the sport think. 
again, like the players, they like that guy. He sh- you're, he's right. He should be answering to the players. Yeah. The, they're not though. That's no, the well, problem. because he says that we answer to the players and then calls it calls one of the people who have probably done some of the most for the PDGA yeah. exposure wise and growth wise of the sport and Brody on their Smith. website. <laughs> yeah. No, Brody Smith's who I'm talking about. Oh, I thought you were talking about Paige. Well, Paige, I'm about to talk about in a second. But doing that for Brody, who's brought a lot of attention to disc golf, no one can deny that. Whether you like the attention or you don't, calls him, he says it's kind of a jerk move. And also, the way he handled himself the whole podcast is very unprofessional. Just so, yeah. Like, I get the sunglasses inside is like the shtick of the show he was on. But, like, you're the president of the board of directors of PDGA. You could have at least found a clean T-shirt, moved your bike out of the background, and taken the sunglasses off. He looked off. like he had just finished playing Fortnite at his gaming setup. Yeah. And, uh, and then he calls he calls them, he calls Brody kind of a jerk, and then calls Paige, who no matter what you think about Brody, you can't deny what Paige yeah, has done for the sport. What the heck? Paige is literally the greatest female player of all time. She is an extreme advocate for women's disc golf and for her other competitors. She's constantly put like putting them up, putting the spotlight on them. You can't deny any of that. And then when she calls out the PDGA for not treating a women's major the way it should be treated and treating it worse than a men's major, you say that her comments are disingenuous and self-serving? What did Paige That's gain from that? For. Like, That's what is uncalled for. What, is, what does this guy think that Paige gained from calling out the PDGA in that moment? Like All the risk was on Paige for calling out the PDGA. She didn't. That didn't build her brand. That didn't yeah. make her money. Yeah. All she did was say, "Hey." She's taking a bullet for ev- for all the other female yeah. players. You think? Yeah. That's that's the thing too. Is it's not like she was the one who said something, but it's not like she's the one who felt that way. Yeah. And this guy also has. I I just can't stand how he was like. Oh well, I didn't see a lot of roasting online, but that's what he sounds like in my head. <laughs> but like. I heard a lot of roasting. Like, there's a lot. I heard a lot of roasting, man. Like, yeah, there was a lot going on behind the scenes, dude. Like, where did you hear a lot of roasting? You're the board of directors at the PDGA. Where do you think that we're going to think you heard that roasting from? All right. Well, apparently the PDGA didn't like the, the, the road I was going down, so they cut the power to our camera. Uh, that's the second time, man. They, they cut the power to your internet earlier in the show, Trevor. Now they've cut the power to our camera. You know, they're really out for us. Um, but regardless i think my point was coming across i was ranting a little bit just because i can't believe what the guy said but the whole point was i don't understand how that was disingenuous and self-serving to Paige. i don't think Paige was building her brand by saying that i don't understand how she was and also i think i was saying other players clearly held the same opinions as Paige that a, a u.s women's major should be held to the same mm-hmm. standards as a men's major so how can all you, of that how can say, you come after the players how can you do that after saying you answer to the players yeah just turn your back on that's them. stupid but I still, to this point, the thing that I think I'm the most shocked by is the silence from the PDGA themselves mm. to the public yeah. eye to not say anything, like especially about the president of the board of directors. And, you know, knowing Griplocked, we do this whole show. They'll make an announcement tonight before yeah. the show comes out Which Thursday. I, ho- I hope they do. I, I hope do they too. make an announcement. Because they need to address that. They need to address what the president of the board of directors said because if they don't, like, that's a horrible look and it makes me like, I have to be a PDGA member to run PDGA sanctioned events. So like I can't personally for the rest of this year, not sign back up as a PDGA member, but it makes me really want to not give them any of my money because I don't like supporting that. But most importantly, what we can do as active PDGA members, if you are is vote. So the elections actually, I believe start today when you're listening to this July 1st, Um, we need a record turnout of importantly educated voters i'm not endorsing any candidates uh because i want everyone to research and vote for who they think will make the pdga the most like they want to see i endorse all the candidates who care the most about the players 
I'll put it that way. So you can read and read what they say and what they're going to do. There's also some candidates with some incredible experience that I think you should read about uh, and learn yes. all of that. You can find their bios on the PDGA's website. There's also going to be interviews, I believe, coming out on the Disc Golf Guys channel, or at least he's the one doing them. I don't know where the interviews are going to come out. There should be interviews, though, where you can hopefully learn a little bit more of the, the people's vision for the PDGA. Um, but like I said earlier, the only thing that I'm going to give you an insight into what I'm voting or the how I'm voting is I'm not voting for anyone currently on the board of directors because if this is the standard, this is what they think of players, then let's show them what players think of them. Um, so voting, I believe, opens today, runs most of July. I Vote- mean, is that a t-shirt? That was amazing. <laughs> did you just come up with that? I did. I don't know. I don't even remember what I said. You said something about if they something about the standards of the player if this, is what, uh, if this is what they think about the players we'll show them what the players think about them yeah and then vote got okay. them there Dang. you go so i encourage you to vote as soon as possible but make sure you're educated first and you know what you're voting for who you're voting for and you are believe strongly in their capability for the future of the pdga because i do believe in the importance of the pdga when it comes to the governing body the rules i think that they should take a step back when it comes to professional disc golf but i think as far as the amateur side of the sport the growth of the sport there is a lot of potential for the pdga and a lot that the pdga can and should be doing and we need the right people in charge or the right people to make the board of directors have power uh, so that the right decisions can be made for the future of the sport. And I think that is extremely important. So if you're an active PDGA member, please, please, please vote for this board of directors like your life depends on it because our sport just might. So hopefully you all enjoy this episode. Uh, don't forget to subscribe if you're here on YouTube. Comment down below what you think, whether you agree with us, disagree with us, hate us, love us, whatever it may be. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or any podcast platform that has reviews, please go ahead and leave us a review. Uh, We really appreciate it. And thanks again to Manscaped for sponsoring this episode. Don't forget to go over to manscaped.com and use code GRIPLOCKED. That's all one word. It should be at the bottom of the screen. Use code GRIPLOCKED for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. You can pick up any number of products for below your waist that'll, uh, you know, keep you happy and healthy. We'll see you in the next one.